Good morning. The reading today is found, it's John 6, 25 through 51, found in your pew Bibles on page 1134 and 1135. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the wonderful weather. I thank you that uh, we have your word to rely on, Father, and that uh, I just ask that you open our hearts uh, to receive the word and to gain understanding that we can use on a day-to-day -day basis. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When they found him... On the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do you not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life? which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you that we may see the believe and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the mamma, manna in the wilderness, and as, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but the Father gives you you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world they said to him sir give us the bread always Jesus said to them I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall not be hungry and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but I said to you that you have been that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from the heaven, not to do my own will, but to do of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up for the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will say, Be taught by God. Everyone who has heard 
and learn from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat, and it will not, and it will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is in my flesh. Thank you, Martin. Well, Wednesday is a big holiday for us, and I'm not talking about Halloween. Uh, for us, as Presbyterians, uh, Wednesday we celebrate Reformation Day. For on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted the 95 Thesis on the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and the Reformation began. The, as you remember, the five-fold cry of the Reformation was that we are uh, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, and glory to God alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Scripture alone is our authority as we seek to live, give all glory to God alone. Yes, October 31st, Reformation Day is a day worth celebrating. But unfortunately, there's this other holiday where they give away candidate, and that gets all the press. However, if you want the best of both worlds, what you could do is dress up like Martin Luther <laughs> and hand out the 95 theses rather than the candy. Although I'm pretty sure the kids are going to want the candy, uh, not uh, the 95 theses. It's kind of long. Uh, it's interesting. I was studying, you know, most kids today, they like to dress up like a superhero or a princess or this year, particularly zombies are really popular. I was reading an article this week from the Washington Post about what are the greatest fears of Americans today? And number nine on that list was actually zombies. Americans are afraid of zombies don't even exist, and yet we're afraid of them. Here are the ten things that we're most afraid of. Number one, uh, Americans are afraid of public speaking. I'm still trying to get over that one myself. I'll try to do the best I can. Uh, number two, heights. Number three, uh, bugs, snakes, or any other animal that crawls. Number four, drowning. Number five, needles. Number six, tight spaces. Number seven, flying. Number eight, strangers. Number nine, zombies. And number 10, darkness. What are you afraid of? We all are anxious and afraid of something. What are you afraid of? On Monday, my wife and I went to this uh, little uh, seminar on how uh, you're supposed to pay for college. We have a, a freshman in high school, and so we thought we'd go to this seminar to hear about college, and as I learned about the rate of inflation of tuition, I quickly became afraid. <laughs> the uh, rate of inflation in the United States is around 2 to 3%, right? It's actually closer to 2, uh, and uh, the rate of inflation, though, on tuition for college is around 6%. It's growing rapidly. In fact, they gave us a, a chart. There was a slide that showed, you know, 13 of the most popular colleges in Texas, and uh, they had uh, three state schools, Texas, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech. And the average cost, uh, tuition, room, board, uh, books, was about 26000 a year. And I did the math quickly, you know, 26000 times four. Okay, that's 100000 over 100000 times the fact that I have three kids. That's over $300,000. I became pretty anxious thinking about how am I going to pay for college. What makes you anxious? Are you anxious about finances? 
What about health issues? Maybe you're anxious about your health. What about your children or your grandchildren? What makes you anxious these days? As we continue our journey through Exodus, we'll see that the people of God became quite anxious as they wandered in the wilderness, and yet God met them in the midst of their fears. Please open your red pew Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Begin with verse 1. It may be found on page 73 of your Red Pew Bible, Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you're the God who calms our fears. You're the God who is with us in the midst of our anxiety. You're the God who makes yourself known. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we read your word, you might make yourself known to us again. That as we read this familiar story, that you would open our eyes to see afresh and anew what it is you want us to see. That you'd open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. That you would open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Exodus chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. I want to pause there just for a second. I want to show you a map here of the Exodus journey. It may be difficult for you to see, but you can see they're They've crossed the Red Sea, as we talked about last Sunday, and now they are on the eastern coast of the Red Sea, and they have most recently been in Elam, which in Exodus chapter 15, we learned that Elam was an oasis of sorts. There were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees in Elam. They're leaving the comfort of Elam and now traveling towards Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, and they're having to go through the wilderness of sin. We actually have a picture of the wilderness of sin i show that to you. That is a dry and desolate place. It would be difficult for anyone to forage or find any food in the midst of the wilderness of sin, particularly over 600,000 Israelites who are traveling with Moses. And as we continue to read, we, we just saw that the 15th, they are in the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. It's been over a month since they left Egypt. Their own food supplies are certainly running thin as they travel through the wilderness of sin. They begin to become anxious about what they're going to eat. Let's continue reading in verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Pause there just for a second. What are the Israelites thinking? Listen to that last phrase. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, as if that was the plan. Let's send ten plagues upon Egypt and Pharaoh so that the Israelites might be released from their slavery. Let's part the Red Sea so that they might walk through on dry ground. And the Egyptian army follows them. Of course, they were drowned as the sea collapsed upon the Egyptian army. Let's send them out in the wilderness all so that we might kill them with hunger. 
Who was thinking that? It was God's plan. That was never part of God's plan. And yet their hunger and their anxiety of the uncertainty of the future has led them to, to say ridiculous things to Moses and Aaron as if their plan was to bring us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. How quickly the people of Israel have forgotten the faithful provision of our God. How quick can we be to forget the faithful provision of our God? When the stock market goes down like it's been going down lately, we can become anxious and forget the faithful provision of our God. When a job change occurs that we're not quite ready for, we can quickly become anxious and forget the faithfulness of our God. When that dreaded diagnosis comes, we can easily become overwhelmed with anxiety, forgetting the faithful provision of our God. Monday night, as the financial planner was explaining the rising cost of tuition, I noticed uh, that my palms were actually sweating. It was a little odd. I was like, why are my palms sweating? This place is air conditioned. But anyway, uh, I began to think about how am I going to pay for three kids to go through college when the, the rate of intuition continues to escalate? And UT, Texas Tech, and A&M were three of the better buys. And that, she had 13 schools listed, and she pointed out. Uh, and it's interesting, at this point in time, and it's my own fault, I, I drove my daughter, Hannah, my oldest, once through the campus of SMU, and she said, I want to go here. <laughs> I had no idea what SMU costs. I was just taking her on a tour of, of a pretty school, and, and I noticed that SMU wasn't on the list, so I was just kind of thinking in my mind, I, I wonder why SMU isn't on the list. And without me even asking the question, she said, I want you to notice that I have three private schools here. I've got Baylor, and I've got Rice, and I've got TCU, but I didn't put SMU on here because it's the most expensive school in the state. I didn't even think it was worth listing. I looked over at Sarah and smirked and shook my head. I thought, oh, man, what have I done? <laughs> Yes, I left the meeting pretty anxious about how we're going to pay for college in just a few years. Like the Israelites, I was forgetting how God had always been faithful to us in the past. Have you ever been anxious before? Anxious about money or work or health or your children or your grandchildren? You know, we all go through seasons of life and the future seems uncertain as if we're going through a season of wilderness where we can't see how God is necessarily providing. So what are, you, what are we to do in the midst of that anxiety? To find out, let's continue reading. Picking up with verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will take walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud and the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? But they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread of the Lord that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let's look again at verse 4 of Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Despite their grumbling, God has been so gracious to provide the food they need to eat And not only that, but he's provided a day of rest for them. He's provided the Sabbath. In fact, this is the first time the Hebrew word for Sabbath appears in all of the Bible. And you'll remember that, well, in in Genesis uh, chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And on the sixth day, he creates humanity. And he says that we are very good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. So that the first day of humanity, according to Genesis 1, our first full day was actually a day of rest. It was a gift from God. God has given us the Sabbath as a wonderful day of rest. Yes, God has been so gracious to provide for us. And God has given to the people of Israel, not simply to meet their physical needs for food and rest, but ultimately to test them, to reveal to them once again that he is, in fact, the Lord. For every every day, the people were given bread, but there was a certain way they must gather the bread They must do it early in the morning because by noontime, the bread would melt. They had to gather it in the morning. They were only supposed to gather one omer per person. An omer is basically two quarts. 
And if they gathered too much and they tried to keep it overnight because they were worried God wasn't going to provide the next day, like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, if they, they held it on to the next day, it would stink and, and worms would be attracted to it and it would ruin. As they were only supposed to gather enough for that day, except on the sixth day, they were supposed to gather twice as much so that they could truly rest on the seventh day. God is building into the habit of his people while they're in the wilderness the habit, the spiritual habit of Sabbath rest. How good are we at taking a day off and simply resting in the Lord? Of course, today you're doing great. You're here. Hallelujah. Well done. But if this is like any typical Sunday at our church, half of our congregation, half of our membership won't be here. Where are they? Are they out of town? Are they sleeping in? Are they waiting for the Cowboys game? Hopefully not. It's, they're not playing today. <laughs> when you're not here, what do you do? On Sunday, when you go on vacation, do you still try to find a place of worship? Or maybe you gather your own family for a, a time of worship? We need to build in that rhythm of weekly corporate worship so that we might be reminded that our God is God. That we could be still and know that he is the Lord, our rock and our refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble. And we know from the New Testament we don't want to be legalistic about the Sabbath. As you may recall, the Pharisees really got onto Jesus when he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus would do good things like heal on the Sabbath. Though there was one particular scene while his disciples were traveling, they were walking through a grain field and they plucked a few heads of grain so they might have something to eat and the Pharisees got all upset about it. And Jesus has to correct them. We read about it in Mark chapter 2 verse 27. Jesus says to those Pharisees who are rebuking his disciples, he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift. So how good are we at stewarding that gift? In fact, all of life is really a gift, is it not? All that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, that's all a, a gift from God. As we read in the epistle of James, every good gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Yes, all of life is a gift. So how are we at stewarding the gifts that God has given to us, the gifts of time, talents, and treasures? Next Sunday, we're all going to have an opportunity to make a commitment uh, to, to this church on how we plan to use our time, talents, and treasures to help do the work of God's kingdom as a part of this congregation. And you'll notice in our pledge card that you have, if you haven't picked one up or they, uh, you can pick one up in the uh, great hall, but uh, you'll see that we don't just ask how much you plan to give in the way of money. We actually ask what ministry do you hope to be a part of and where would you like to use your time and your talents now, we ask people to turn in pledge cards because we need to, to build a budget. You can look in our, uh, our magazine, the Celebrate magazine. We have a proposed budget. This is basically after the finance committee has met with every ministry in our church and interviewed them about what they think they're going to need to do their ministry. We've created a proposed budget, but we won't know what the budget finally is until we receive the pledge cards because 70%, over 70% of our giving, giving comes through pledged giving. These pledge cards help us determine with greater accuracy what we can expect to receive in 2019. And we don't want to beat, build a budget that we can't meet. I know our government has a budget they don't meet, but we want to have a balanced budget. We don't want to spend more money than we bring in. So what is God calling you to give? What is, how is God calling you to participate in the work of his kingdom? 
I pray that you would spend this whole week praying about that, thinking about that. Because by God's grace, our, our ministries are growing. We've, we've increased the budget specifically for the children's ministry and the youth ministry because they are, they are growing. I don't know if you remember, but in June, we had the largest vacation Bible school ever. We were at full capacity with 176 children, many of them who do not go to our church. In fact, half of them don't come to our church. And by God's grace and provision, these children, many of them made a, a first-time commitment to Christ. Forty-eight children prayed to receive Christ. Amen. 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 That's good news. We need to build on that. We need to continue to support that ministry as much as we possibly can. The same is true for our youth ministry. The A&O house on Wednesday nights is completely full. In fact, two weeks ago, I went to pick up my daughter, Hannah, and I couldn't even get inside. I'm the senior pastor. There was too many people. I couldn't get inside. There were like over 80 kids there that night. It was amazing. Packed in that first floor of the A&O house. That house was not built to hold that many children, youth, young people. It's too large. I understand this year we've got over 70, in fact, now I understand it's over 80 kids signed up for our high school ski trip uh, going off to Crested Butte. And this ski trip is, is a great attractional event where kids from all over the city will come and join our youth group and get to hear the gospel. And their lives are forever changed. And in a moment, you're going to get to hear from a young man, Diego Rivera, whose life has been changed through that ski trip. It's because the youth and children's ministry of our church is growing. We've got to give them more. We've got to allocate more resources to to do the work that we believe God is calling them to do. But it won't happen unless we all do our part. If you look at the budget, you'll see that we have a a pledged giving goal of $2 million. Uh, This year, it's $1.87 million. That was based on, determined on, how people turn in their pledge cards. So we believe it's it's a reasonable goal, but it's a reasonable goal if everyone does their part. 70% of our giving comes through pledge giving. But did you know that half of our members last year failed to turn in a pledge card? We all need to prayerfully see what God is calling us to give. So how much should we give exactly? Well, we know from the Bible, specifically in Leviticus uh, chapter 27, that we are called to give a tenth, a tenth, a a tithe uh, to, to the work of God's kingdom. 10%. 10%. And as we continue to read Numbers 18, we find out that, well, that the, that the uh, Israelites, the Levitical priests, would live off the tithe of the people. They didn't have a land of their own. They ran the tabernacle or later the temple. And so they had to live off that tithe. And I am most interested to learn that in Numbers 18, not only was everyone called to give a, a tenth, but the Levites were called to give a tenth. The priests were called to give a tenth. And so that, that's what we're all called to do, to give 10%. Now, I know that you can read the Bible and say, well, gosh... 10%, that seems more like an Old Testament requirement than a, a New Testament reality. And, and in many ways, you're correct. But the reality is that Jesus affirms tithing in Matthew 23. But if you really read the New Testament closely, you'll see that they were not limited by 10%. They gave well above a tithe. Why would they do this? One of my favorite stories is actually found in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37 We were given a brief description of the earliest church and how they were so generous. And we read about Barnabas, specifically in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37, we read, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, who was from the tribe of Levi, who was certainly trained in the Levitical code, that all that was required of him was 10%, gave everything. Why was the first century church so generous? So generous to the point that they didn't talk a lot about tithing. They gave well above the tithe. The tithe was, was viewed more as a beginning point of generosity, not a destination. Why was it that Barnabas was so generous? Well, as the first century church looked at all that God had given to them, specifically in our son, his God's son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, they said, man, how can I not give to help meet the needs of others? God has been so generous to me, for generosity begins with God. Giving begins with God, and we simply respond to God's generosity by giving back to him. As we read just a moment ago in, in the call to worship from Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and all who are in it. God owns everything already. We are simply called to give back. And as we give back to God, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that our heart will follow. Yes, God doesn't need our money, but we need to give our money to God so that our heart might follow, so that we might Avoid the sins of greed, and we might give back to God in gratitude for all that God has given to us. Yes, generosity begins with God. As you read in John 3.16, please say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Giving begins with God. In our Old Testament text, we can see that God was faithful to, to give, to provide the food, rest, and salvation that the Israelites would need in the wilderness. Six days a week, uh, the people of God would, would gather the manna. Uh, manna means, what is it exactly? That's why they said, what is it? That's why it's called manna. They didn't know what it was. But God had blessed them with it. And, and they weren't called to hoard it. They were simply to gather what they would need that day. We can see from our gospel lesson this morning that well, we have much better bread than the bread that would wither by the afternoon. For we've been given the bread that will never wither. We've been given eternal bread. We've been given the bread of life, Jesus Christ. For as Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 47 to 51, as, as uh, Martin read just a moment ago, John chapter 6, verse 47 to 51, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus gave us his flesh. He gave us his all. Jesus gave us his flesh as he was being whipped and flogged by soldiers. Jesus gave us his flesh as he, as he hung on a cross and had his pierced side. And with his final words in the Gospel of John said, it is finished. Our sins have been atoned for. We've been reconciled to God. As Paul reminds the church in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that we might be saved. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus was without sin. He was in perfect, lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And then he paid the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And then he conquered sin and death on the third day when he rose again so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might live into this new life. And a part of this new life is to give back to God out of gratitude for all that God has already given to us. And as we give, like the little boy who gave his five barley loaves and two fish, God is able to take what we give and he's able to multiply it to minister to so many more, like the 80 kids who are going skiing to Crested Butte to hear the gospel, the good news of God's love. Like the 176 kids who came to vacation Bible school and the 48 kids who made first-time commitments to Christ. Yes, I can't think of a better investment in this life than to give to the work of God's kingdom. You know, the average Christian in America gives 2.5% to his local church. By God's grace, I was able to go to Princeton Seminary uh, for school, and I got to learn some Greek and Hebrew, and I can actually read Greek and Hebrew. You know, I've got my dictionaries and everything. I, knowing the original language, I've never been able to find 2.5% in all this book. Where did we come up with 2.5%? As Christians in America, we live in the wealthiest country in the world, and yet we're only giving 2.5%. Why? Well, as Americans, after we make our house payment and our car payment and our credit card payments and all the other payments, we give God's church what's left over. If you went to a restaurant, if we went to a restaurant and we tipped the waitress 2.5%, would she say we were generous I don't think so. And yet, we live in a culture that teaches us we're supposed to give 15 to 20% when we're waited upon, when someone serves us, and yet the church in America won't give the 10% that God asks of us in his word. God's testing us. Are we good stewards with the time, talents, and the treasures that God has given to us? For in our Exodus text this morning, we can see that even though the Israelites grumble against God, God has been gracious to them in their plight and he's provided for them the food they need and a, a day of solemn rest for each week. And in verse four of our text, we read that God gave them these things to test them. The test was this. God was simply asking the Israelites, will you trust me? Will we trust him? Please join me as you pray. God, we know that you alone are worthy of our trust. You alone are worthy of our praise, for you have proven with the resurrection of Jesus to be trustworthy. You're the God who provides for all of our needs in Christ Jesus. You're the God who provides salvation. You're the God who provides our daily bread. We thank you for it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. God, we thank you for your provision. Help us to be good stewards of the time, the talents, and the treasures that you've given to us. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jake Schrader. I am one of the associate youth directors here. Um, and this is my friend Diego. Um, I'm going to interview Diego a little bit about um, some upcoming trips that we have. So Diego, will you do me a favor and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Um, hello. Uh, I go to Tascosa High School and I'm 17 and a junior. And I am also on the track team. All right. Um, so will you tell us about how long ago you started coming to A&O? Um, I started coming to A&O uh, around my freshman year, but it was really like off and on. 
and then my sophomore year, I really started coming like every Wednesday. And since like my sophomore year, I've been coming since nonstop. Um, how did it feel coming into such a large group of people? You know, A&O is a pretty close-knit family. So how did it feel kind of coming into that big group of people? Um, I was really, really nervous. Like, I almost, like, felt like the intruder to the family. It was, um, it was, I was scared almost. But they were all really welcoming and made me feel like I was a part of the family almost instantly. And it was, it was just, it was scary, but at the same time, it was really like beautiful cool um so being nervous and everything and not really knowing a lot of people what kind of changed that uh mentality or what kind of made you feel more comfortable um so um okay what really like changed it for me was um the bro trip and the bro trip is a trip uh before the ski trip where like all the guys go and just, like, hang out and have a good time with, um, like, Jake and then worshiping Christ. And so I basically signed up with for the ski trip not knowing anyone. Um, I was, like, really scared and uh, worried. And then Jake offered me the bro trip, and I was very skeptical and off and on about it. Within, like, a time span of 10 minutes, my answer would change between yes and no at least, like, 10 times. And so... Eventually, I said yes, and by me saying yes, it uh, was like easily, easily one of the greatest deci- decisions I've ever made, and it led to amazing opportunities. Cool. Yeah, like Diego said, we do a, we're calling it the bro trip um, <laughs> before our ski trip. Uh, this year, we have over 81 or 82 or something like that people that are going on our ski trip, which is the biggest one uh, we've taken since I've been here uh, for two and a half years. Um, and so we do this bro trip and, uh, it's something I kind of started when I first, uh, came here and we just go and we have a good time. We just hang out. There's like really no plan, no agenda. Um, but it's just good organic, uh, relationship building, organic communication or conversations. Um, and we just have a good time hanging out as bros (laughs) and as, uh, friends and brothers in Christ. And so, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so with, having gone on the bro trip uh, and the ski trip and all this stuff, what is your view of A&O now? Um, A&O is like my home. Uh, it's a place I can go without judgment, um, and I feel completely comfortable going there and safe. It's, like, it's a place where my friends and I can all go and together worship Christ and become closer to Christ and also meet new people and bring those people closer to Christ. This guy has legitimately become like a straight-up evangelist in his school. Um, Now, uh, we didn't have a huge junior group um, up until this year, and now there's like 26 guys in his junior small group, um, and a lot because of this guy. He's gone out, and he's told his friends about A&O and just um, the way that we are a family, we're home, uh, and we want to just know Jesus, and we want to fall more in love with Jesus. And he's done an amazing job at um, reaching out to his friends and getting them involved in A&O. So, um, Diego, with, is there anything else that you want to share with, with the congregation? Um, I want to say thank y'all for allowing us to be able 